Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Joe and Amber, the podcast. All right, everybody, let's try and have a little fun alongside Myron Metcalf. My name is Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio, and we are presented by Progressive Insurance. Normally, we would start with whatever the big story is of the day. Maybe we'd have a light joke or a back and forth. I just heard in the update, Myron, if you're Tim Anderson, how the hell are you going to get a six-game suspension and get knocked out in front of the entire world on TV? That's insult to injury because Ramirez, who threw the big haymaker that put Anderson down, he only got three games. That's insult to injury right there. Yeah, like I said, if if I'm Tim Anderson, I'm not showing up to work. Like, I'm just... Like, I don't know how you walk back in the clubhouse as if this didn't happen to you, man. And now you got a six-game suspension for starting the fight, and you lost it. It's just bad all around. Everything about it. Everything about it. It does go down as one of the all-timers because the two of them squaring up and then the umpire deciding as he realized what was about to go down that he needs to get out of the way. It was a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing for baseball. Welcome to the show, everybody. Conference realignment is the topic of conversation in college football, and that's where we begin. Myron and I, when we last left you on Friday, we were discussing the big news of the day, which was the fact that Utah, Arizona State, and Arizona were set to follow Colorado to the Big 12, while Oregon and Washington were set to follow USC and UCLA to the Big 10, leaving the Pac-12 with just four schools. As it happens today, there are reports now that the ACC is having a series of meetings to discuss the viability of adding Stanford and Cal, the two Bay Area schools, to their conference, which would leave Washington State and Oregon State as the only two teams without a dance partner come 2024. So the ACC, Myron, we had talked about the viability of the conference. Would would, would Florida State bolt? Would the ACC uh, succumb to the same fate as the Pac-12? And now here they are looking to ramp up with the scraps from the Pac-12. Yeah, and it's good to know that everybody cares about student-athletes and how they're going to manage classes on those Cal to Miami trips, right? Um, (laughs) That's the first thing Top of the list on priorities. You know, here's the thing. A week ago, you'd go, how on earth does Cal and Stanford end up in the ACC? Wouldn't have made sense. But what makes sense right now? Nothing. So I think if you're Cal and Stanford, you're saying, we need a way to support ourselves and to maintain sports and to be a power league, a a couple of power schools. And the only way to do that is attach ourselves to the ACC. I get it. You feel bad for Oregon State and Washington State. But if you're Cal and Stanford, you got to find sort of the lifeboats, hop on, and just hope it works out for you going forward. I'm sure there's a reason there that I'm missing. I can't necessarily figure out why the ACC would want to add those two schools. Fine schools, before everyone gets all worked up, just hear me out on this. Worked in the Bay Area for six years. Did morning radio there. College football has always been my number one sport. Nobody there cares about college football. It's it's the way of life. I tried to talk about it on air. Nobody cares. Would go to Cal games. Nobody would be there. And you had some games where guys like Justin Herbert and Oregon were coming to town on a Saturday night. Nobody cared. 
Stanford games. Yeah. Nobody cares. And David Shaw had some players there. Those teams were decent. They went to a couple Rose Bowls while I was there. Nobody cares. And for those of you who think I'm full of it, January 2019, the college football national championship game was at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara, not far from the Stanford campus. It was Clemson and it was Alabama. You get a ticket to get to the upper level of that game for like 20 bucks on game night. That's not happening in Atlanta. That's not happening in Houston. Sure as hell is not happening in New Orleans. Bay Area is known for a lot of great things. This isn't an indictment or a knock on it at all, but college football is not something they care about. Clemson coming out to Berkeley, I don't think people are going to care. Miami traveling all the way out to Stanford, I don't think people are going to care. Am I wrong here? What am I missing? No, I don't think you're wrong. I do think we are kind of a bit misguided on how these conversations are happening and what people are talking about. I think a decade ago, 15, 20 years ago, it was, well, does this make regional sense? Does this make competitive sense? The meetings now are going, what makes TV sense? And at the end of the day, you can say the Big Ten made a mistake adding Rutgers and Maryland, but the Big Ten's getting ready to hand out $70 million a school in TV money, right? If you're the ACC, you're thinking, what's going to allow us to get more TV revenue? Well, you expand to a bigger market. You get to the West Coast, and that potentially adds to your revenue. You look at what the SEC is doing, Oklahoma and Texas. By 2028, I said this last week, they're going to hand out $100 million a school, Joe. $100 million. I still don't believe it. I've heard you say that six or seven times over the last few days. I still don't even believe that. There are are a bunch of athletic departments that aren't bringing in $100 million. So I think – These are TV conversations, and if you're the ACC, you're saying, we expand our footprint, we get more money out of it, that's good for everybody involved. Cal, remember, has a 100-year mortgage on their stadium. They have a mortgage that goes through the year 2,112 on their renovated stadium. And if you're Stanford, you've already had to cut teams in the pandemic. You're trying to find that pipeline financially, too. It makes sense, I think, for everybody involved if you look at it as a revenue and a TV conversation. When you're signing a 100-year mortgage, are you signing it and then you're kind of snickering inside saying, like, I ain't going to be around to to deal with this. This ain't going to be my problem. This is going to be someone in the future's serious problem to deal with 92 years from now when everything's melting down. He's fine from Netcap. I'm Joe Fordball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Heather Dinich had some important stuff earlier today. She's been all over the story. Realignment has taken the, the nation by storm. But at the same time, we're starting to realize, wait a minute, all these conferences are going to realign next year, the exact same year the new college football playoff expansion is set to take place. So how is realignment impacting the college football playoff expansion? The consideration is going to be, I think, a tweak, not necessarily an overhaul to the proposed 12-team model, because we don't have time for that. It starts in 2024. So the most logical consideration would be to have five conference champions and the next seven highest ranked teams as opposed to the six and six model because then you still have conference champions from the SEC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the ACC. Then you get another FBS conference champion. There's your five. And then the next seven highest ranked teams. That seems to work, right? That's Heather Dinich on the college football playoff expansion and how realignment will impact it. You make one little tweak like that, we should be okay. 
I mean, we'll complain at the yeah. time. I'm sure there will be a huge yeah. war that breaks out when it becomes Boise State versus Fresno State for that last spot. Yeah. But for right now, it doesn't seem like it's something that's going to get everybody all worked up. Yeah, I think the initial tweak will be fine. But down the line, I don't think that's going to stick. Like, to me, ultimately, the playoff meetings in the future, everyone's going to be at the table. And then the Big Ten and the SEC commissioners are going to be sitting on thrones. Right. It's going to be clear <laughs> who holds the power. And I guarantee you, these mega conferences aren't forming to get fewer teams into the playoff. They're going to try to swing things in their favor. So I think whatever happens next year, I don't think that will stick for very long with the 12-team playoff because of the way the momentum has shifted to a couple of leagues in college football. Yeah, without question. I mean, right now you look at an ACC, assuming, say this year was the first year of the expanded playoff. You have a top-heavy ACC where Clemson's going to be very good, Florida State's going to be very good, and then there's a noticeable drop-off. But if this were that situation next year and you had Texas, Oklahoma, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Kentucky, Florida, South Carolina, you name it, all in the SEC, they're going to point out their conference schedules and say, hey, we might have three losses, but look at who we're playing week in and week out, where Clemson had that big game against Florida State. And then after that, it was a road trip to Duke, who's somewhat formidable at times, and Virginia Tech, but that's going to be the big argument. You're going to have teams with more losses from those two power conferences, Big Ten included, because ultimately, like you said, great point. They're the ones controlling the chips. They're the ones that are going to have the tougher conference schedules. Yeah, they're not the biggest and baddest uh, to not use that power. I mean, they're going to try to shift everything in their favor. The Big Ten and the SEC run college sports right now. They can really do whatever they want to do, and I just don't see a world where they don't apply that to the playoff going forward. Interesting mindset from one of Joe Burrow's teammates in Cincinnati regarding how he should approach his injury and whether or not he should even suit up for week one. Can the Bengals stay competitive without Joe Burrow? He's Myron Metcalf. I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This is the Joe and Amber Podcast. Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow was carted off the practice field today after what appeared to be a non-contact injury to his lower right leg. These things can range from days, five to seven days for a mild injury, to multiple weeks if it's something more severe. Half injuries usually sideline players multiple weeks, but mixed in with the backdrop of his unsettled contract situation, you have to wonder if we'll see Burrow again before his name gets signed. 
Fresh off their second consecutive trip to the AFC Championship game, a 23-20 loss in Kansas City against the eventual Super Bowl champion Chiefs, the Cincinnati Bengals enter the 2023 season with high expectations. In the eyes of Las Vegas, 10-1 to win the Super Bowl. That trails only Kansas City, Philadelphia, San Francisco, and Buffalo. But they're dealing with a little bit of adversity early in the year. Alongside Myron Metcalf, I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. As you heard and as you no doubt already know, quarterback Joe Burrow suffered a calf strain during training camp. The report is he could be back for week one against Cleveland. Road trip to take on the Browns. Maybe he misses. Interesting comments today from Burrow's top wide receiving target, former LSU teammate of his, Jamar Chase, who had this to say about Burrow and whether or not he should come back for week one. I want him to be 100% healthy to play. I don't want him rushing nothing. I don't want people in his ear telling him to play at a certain time. I just want him to be healthy. And that's not me telling him to play this certain game. It's just, that's me saying be healthy when you're back 100% healthy. Chase went on to say, quote, I sat out an extra game just to let my hip all the way heal up, and you don't want to cause no other problems later on in the season. And I told him, as long as you're there after week five and on, we're good, brother. End quote. Jamar Chase, wide receiver, speaking about Joe Burrow. I mean, I don't think anyone, Myron, is anticipating Burrow missing the first four or five games of the season with his calf strain, especially since some feel he's going to be ready to go week one against Cleveland. But, I mean, if he's not back until week five, is Cincinnati going to be able to weather that storm? This is why players aren't coaches, right? Like, because <laughs> I don't think the coaching staff feels – that way. I mean, Trevor Simeon is your backup. Uh, Trevor Simeon has, I think, six starts since 2019. Uh, when he was a starter in Denver, I think 2016-2017, completed about 59% of his passes. That is not Joe Burrow, like, right? Joe no, Burrow is, is a difference maker. Joe Burrow, to me, is one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the entire NFL. So certainly they would miss him. I do think Jamar is kind of speaking to the schedule and the teams that they would end up facing. Baltimore, Cleveland, Arizona, the Rams, and I'm missing a fifth team. Tennessee, outside of uh, Baltimore, you're talking about four of the worst scoring defenses in the league last year, right? Bottom half. So maybe it's some of that. Maybe it's he's a guy trying to, you know, say like, hey, we might have to be prepared for this because they're not going to rush Joe Burrow back out there. But they do need Joe Burrow to get back as quickly as possible. But it does make sense, Joe, if you're saying we don't want you back unless you're ready to go. That part of it makes a lot of sense to me. No doubt, especially when you're dealing with a calf strain, because I think one of the most famous calf strains we remember dealing with in sports over the last few years, Kevin Durant with the Golden State Warriors, suffers a calf strain during the NBA playoffs. He's sitting out. He's not playing. They wanted to bring him back against Houston. The Warriors find a way to get to the finals against the Raptors. Durant returns. That calf strain turns into a torn ACL. He's out for not only the series, but the entire next season. So when you're dealing with a calf strain, it's not just a muscle injury. There's a lot more risk there, which is why you need to take your time and bring him back when he's ready to go. Whether or not he plays in that week one game, I like Cleveland in that matchup. Cincinnati originally opened as a three-point favorite for that game. It's now down to one. It's been Cleveland money because of the injury. I think this Cleveland team is going to be formidable this year. I'm not going to pick them to go to the AFC Championship game, but I think the view of them and the way Vegas is pricing them is essentially telling you, you have an average quarterback in Deshaun Watson. He's not really all that great. They've got a top five rushing attack. They've got a top five offensive line. They signed Dalvin Tomlinson in free agency to shore up the interior of the defensive line to go alongside Miles Garrett. They should be a formidable out 
with a bright offensive head coach in Kevin Stefanski. The question is how you see Watson. Does he become the guy we remember in Houston? Is he still the guy from last year who was below average? Or does he find something in between? And if he at the very least can find something in between, and I think he can, there's reason to believe Cleveland's going to be a tough out this year. That's how I view the Browns. Do you see them causing problems in the AFC North this year? I just don't know enough about Deshaun Watson, so so I'm um, not as bullish on him. Like, I don't think Deshaun Watson last year looked like a rusty quarterback. He looked like a quarterback who'd lost something. Russell Wilson, to me, didn't look like a guy just making a transition to a new team in a new system. He looked like a quarterback who'd lost something. And sometimes that happens to guys. I mean, Deshaun Watson has played six games since 2020. Um, I don't know that there's a track record of any quarterback who suddenly found it again after that stretch, on top of the expectations that come with the $230 million guaranteed contract. So I'm not convinced that Deshaun Watson is that guy. Now, you're right. Nick Chubb and that rushing attack, you understand how good they could be. They're going to be able to move the ball regardless of who they face. You add Zadarius Smith as well to that defensive unit. Oh, yeah. I think that defense can be really tough. But to beat the best of the best, the elite teams, Deshaun Watson is going to have to play to a semi-elite level. And he's done nothing to me since the comeback to prove that he can do that. So I'm not as bullish on the Browns, that division, and just what it's going to take for Deshaun Watson to be that quarterback you're describing. I think there's a long way to go. One of the key problems for Cincinnati under Jamar Chase's plan, should you not have Burrow for a handful of games, is that we now live in a world where only one team is getting a first-round bye. That's it. And that buy is extraordinarily valuable, extraordinarily valuable to have the buy, to have home field advantage, to get that crucial week of rest when everybody else has to play, to not have to worry about traveling at any point during the playoffs, save for the Super Bowl should you make it there, is a big advantage. Big advantage. Last year, the two number one seeds had no problem. Kansas City found their way to the Super Bowl. Philadelphia found their way to the Super Bowl. Doesn't mean it happens every year, but getting a bye at that stage in the season, especially if you were a team that had a bye somewhere around week five, week six, a lot of value in that. And if you're Cincinnati and you cost or lose a couple games early in the season, no big deal if you find your way into the playoffs. But the Bengals, I'm sure, would love to be in a situation where they're hosting Kansas City or hosting Buffalo. Last year, that playoff path took them to the Ralph to face the Bills. They find their way past them, but then you're going to Kansas City the following week. That is just too much to ask a team to do when Kansas City only needed one game against the Jacksonville Jaguars in order to find themselves in the same spot but hosting that game. Well, and that's why it's so significant what's happened to Joe Burrow because, you know, you lose a couple in, through the first four weeks of the season – now, all of a sudden, you might be out of the running. You know That might already cost you that top seed on top of Joe Burrow maybe need more time to kind of work himself into form. So they got a lot of big question marks with the Joe Burrow calf injury. Hopefully, he's back week one. But if it goes beyond that, Joe, that messes up that path to the Super Bowl for sure. Yeah, you could see an 0-2 start, and it's not to knock Cincinnati, but if you don't have them, you've got Cleveland in Week 1 and Baltimore in Week 2. I don't know if people have realized this. The Ravens are going to be pretty formidable. John Harbaugh is one of the best early season coaches in the NFL. Top 5 defense, top 5 offensive line, top 5 head coach, new weapons for Lamar Jackson, new offensive coordinator for Lamar Jackson. They stay healthy. That's the team, in my opinion, to beat in the AFC North, but it's going to be the most compelling division in football for a reason. Nick Saban says college football will not be the same without the traditional rivalries. Is he right? He's Myron Metcalf, and I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This is the Joe and Amber podcast. We just learned from ESPN sources that Arizona State and Utah have both formally applied for Big 12 membership. I don't think it's been any secret that Clemson and Miami have also been clamoring for more money and different distribution. Meanwhile, you see the Pac-12 schools scrambling like roaches at night. We've seen in the past where all of this growth this quickly can be really, really bad. (laughs) Scrambling like roaches in the night as only the incomparable Paul Feinbaum can say. What's up, everybody? Happy Monday. Alongside Myron Medcalf, I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. Conference realignment, all the rage right now as Utah, Arizona State, Arizona, and Colorado set to jump to the Big 12 next year. Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA set to jump to the Big 10. Word came out today. Per sources, Pete Thamel, ESPN, the ACC is exploring the idea of adding the two Bay Area schools, Cal and Stanford, to their portfolio, which would leave just Oregon State and Washington State without a home in 2024. Nick Saban, head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide, had this to say about tradition in the wake of all this conference realignment. There's a lot of traditions that we've had for a long time in college football and uh, I think we're in a time of evolution for whatever reasons, and some of those traditions are going to get sort of pushed by the wayside, I think, and it's sad. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent for college football, I guess you have to define what is good, bad, what is good and bad for college football. The Zen master right there working you through the good, the bad, what is good, bad, how would we define it? And then we can go from there. I kid, but I'm thinking these traditions. Are we talking rivalry games? What is it that we're going to be losing in conference realignment? Because, yes, the Pac-12 did have a lot to offer. Gamblers are very fond of Pac-12 after dark. We know what that means Mm -hmm. to our bankrolls late Saturday nights. But jokes aside, what is it we're going to be losing here that – Let's say we can't come back from, right? Like, we might lose some rivalry games, but are we going to be, as a consumer, as the fan, are we going to be worse off because of this? Ultimately, we won't be. And again, I don't even know what traditions we're losing and what rivalries we're losing. Like, you're still going to have the big ones. You're Ohio State, Michigan. You're still going to have is Army Navy. Has, has that been compromised in some way? And I think still in play in the Big Ten. Yeah, if you're a Big Ten, if you're a Pac-12 fan, Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, they're going to find a way to make those teams play. I know BYU fans are like, hey, we're going to play Utah in the Big 12. Arizona, Arizona State remains intact. So I don't think we're going to lose a lot. Like in moments like this throughout sports history, Joe, yes, it's usually bad for somebody. But ultimately, it's good for everybody, right? Like that's usually what happens. The dunk was a play that was going to ruin basketball. (laughs) 1906. If you read about what people said about the forward pass in football, it was going to destroy the game of football. We've had so many moments like this over the history of sports where people go, the game will never be the same. 
And then a year later, you know what we say? That was the best thing we could have done. I don't think this ruins football. Ultimately, the best teams are still going to play each other. Fans aren't going to lose anything. Viewers aren't going to lose anything. There are some teams that will feel like they're left out. But I don't understand this idea that we've lost rivalries and traditions when all those teams are still going to play the same way they would have before realignment. I'm from the Northeast. I live in Las Vegas now. I spent plenty of time in the Bay Area. I I remember when we had this conversation about Texas A&M jumping to the SEC. Like, we're not going to have Texas, Mm -hmm. Texas A&M anymore. That's a game. That's a game for sure. We all enjoyed that game. But now here we are a few years later. Does it matter? And that's not because they'll come back together in the SEC. Uh, Assume Texas was going to the Big Ten. Does it still matter that much that those two don't play each other anymore? Are people still banged up about it? I'm sure. I'm sure there are some purists out there, and I respect that. But what else are we going to lose in this that won't be offset by something even better? Case in point, like top rivalries, no particular order. I'm just going to rattle through some. Um, Michigan and Ohio State, Texas, Mm -hmm. Oklahoma, Alabama, Auburn, Alabama, LSU, USC, UCLA, Clemson, South Carolina, Clemson, Florida State, Florida State, Miami, Florida State, Florida, Penn State and the Michigan, Ohio State triumvirate, uh, Notre Dame, USC. Like, all of this still pretty much looks like it's in play. We'll lose some, maybe Oregon, Oregon State, if they don't find a way to get together. But think about what we'll get with Texas versus everyone in the SEC, Oklahoma with everyone in the SEC, USC taking on Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. I mean, the only one that we don't get regularly that I'm still kind of banged up about, Notre Dame, Michigan. Feels like we never should have lost that. But ultimately, I don't feel like we're going to lose a whole lot of tradition here to the point where whatever we end up gaining isn't going to completely offset it and then some. I'm with you, man. And I think, you know, the Notre Dame-Michigan, Notre Dame-USC, you know, what does that look like in the future, uh, depending on where Notre Dame lands? But to your point, I think we're going to gain so much. We'll gain so much in other sports as well. I'm a basketball guy. Arizona-Kansas twice a year in the Big 12? Bring that on, right? I mean, so there are going to be a lot of moments where I think – We'll see teams face off that we wouldn't have seen outside of some non-conference matchup every decade or so. The the sport, I understand people feeling like this is so much sudden change. You hear people saying it's all about the money, which is weird because I'm trying to figure out when college sports wasn't about money, right? <laughs> Maybe I'm missing something. I, I right. thought that was the this goal. The first people year. bought tickets. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I believe they built some of these stadiums that seat 100,000 people like 50, 60 years ago. So I think money's always been a factor. But, yeah, the viewers aren't going to notice for the most part. I do feel for the Oregon State and Washington States of the world. Yeah. But overall, we've had so many moments like this in the history of sports. You have a big backlash right now. Everything settled down, settles down eventually, and we just get back to doing what we've always done. Joe and Amber is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Alongside Myron Metcalf, I'm Joe Fortenball. Thank you for joining us on Joe and Amber today here on ESPN Radio. Next year is going to be wild because when it opens, the talk is going to be strictly about the conference realignment, right? Like we're going to be looking at these new conferences, this new era of college football we're about to embrace. And that's not even the main story, in my opinion. It's the fact that we're expanding to the 12-team playoff next year. Like that's what it's going to be about. It's going to be about the ability to lose an early game and then maybe a late game and still find yourself into the playoff. The jockeying into position, the playoff alignment, how teams are going to get in and out, that's going to be the story next year. So even if you start the season saying, I'm sad the Pac-12 is no longer with us, I'm sad Texas and Oklahoma won't be taking on their traditional Big 12 foes, understandable. But as the course of that season goes on and you start getting wrapped up into the jockeying for position for those 12 playoff seeds 
and then realizing what that playoff is going to look like, I got a feeling a lot of people are going to get over any anxiety or sadness they have, and they're going to turn their attention to the wildest postseason in the sports history. 100%. You've never had more opportunities to get involved and to have a chance to win. Oh, and guess what? We can talk about realignment all we want. Uh, the SEC is going to be in control again. Yeah. Pre-realignment, post-realignment, <laughs> you name the situation, they're going to be in charge. So, yeah, I think the 12-team playoff opens up a lot of opportunities and a lot of lanes to try to get to a championship. I think the sport will be healthier at the end of all this, even if we lose some power leagues, even if we have these mega conferences. Joe, I don't think fans sit, especially if you're not in that footprint. Like, I'm in the Big Ten. I understand everything about the Big Ten. I don't know if fans turn on a Pac-12 game, an ACC game, and they really yeah. understand it or care necessarily. They don't have a relationship to those leagues. They just want to see good football. And I think that's what will win out here as well. 100%. 100%. And I, I, I echo that completely because I'm already looking ahead to week one, Florida State LSU. I just have that game yep. circled. They're not in the same conference. Couldn't care less. Love the fact that that game got scheduled. Love that they played a thriller last year in New Orleans. Now they're going to play in Orlando. Norvell and the Seminoles coming off their first 10-win season in forever. They're supposed to be formidable. They could be a serious threat or should be a serious threat to Clemson in the ACC. And then you've got LSU and Brian Kelly, who worked wonders with that program in year one. And a lot of people are projecting a big step forward in year two. Those are the matchups. You turn on Saturday night, Clemson playing Florida State. Saturday afternoon, Texas playing Oklahoma, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care. I want to wake up early on Saturday. I want to watch college football all day. And then I want the TV on the left to be the college football night game and the TV on the right to be either UFC or boxing or the Hawaii yep. game because inevitably I'm going to have to chase my losses and try to make my money back. <laughs> so I know more about Hawaii than you ever care to know about because you're watching every single Hawaii game. But I'm sure there's a few of you out there that would put your hand up if I said you know what I'm talking about with that situation. Yeah. But that's what it comes down to. Align them however you want. Give me a full day of those games followed by everything that happened Saturday night. And before I can even yeah. get mad, it's Sunday morning and I got the NFL card to deal with. Well, and everything you just said, Joe, is what these presidents, commissioners are banking on. They're going to take the heat right now. Yeah. They're going to take it all, maybe even this season. But they know a year from now, it's going to go away. And people are just going to focus on the football playoff and get back to doing what we've always done as college football fans. One of the most intriguing teams in the NFL last year and potentially this year, the New York Giants. ESPN Radio's NFL two-a-days were set to continue. We're going to discuss Big Blue. Are they going back to the playoffs this year? A lot of indicators for why Giants fans should be very, very worried. He's Myron Metcalf. I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. This is the Joe and Amber Podcast. Hey, let's go do our job, man. NFL Nation 2 a day. Time is here! On ESPN Radio. The New York Giants. Blue 58! Go! This is Jordan Ron on covering the Giants. Now that Saquon Barkley and the team have failed to reach a long-term deal, everything around the Giants this summer is going to be about how the lack of a deal affects the organization. Will it affect the locker room? How much will it affect their on-field product? All the questions are going to be about Saquon Barkley. It's something the Giants and their entire roster are not going to be able to avoid. Countdown to kickoff with NFL Nation 2 on ESPN Radio. 
Alongside Myron Metcalf, I'm Joe Fortenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio. Let's talk about the New York football giants. From a Vegas perspective, 40-1 to to win the Super Bowl, 16-1 to to win the AFC, 7-1 to to win the NFC East. NFC is what I meant to say there. Philadelphia, the favorites to win the division, followed by Dallas, followed by the Giants, followed by the Commanders. Win totals only 7.5. Meaning if you bet the over, you need eight or more wins. If you bet the under, you need seven or fewer wins. The Giants are a pretty sizable dog to make the playoffs this year. Made the playoffs last year, Myron. Surprised a lot of people in year one under Brian Dable, the new head coach who came over from Buffalo where he was the offensive coordinator. Got into the postseason, went to Minnesota, hammered the Vikings, moved on to the divisional round, went to Philadelphia, got hammered by the Eagles. (laughs) Daniel Jones gets the new contract. Saquon Barkley does not floor is yours what do you think about big blue this season step back or step forward or more of the same you know it's it's hard to to know maybe a slight step forward if daniel jones continues to improve it starts with brian dable i mean if you want to look at the value of competent coaching of elite coaching you look at brian dable and what he was able to do with that team that a lot of people thought was sort of an afterthought they get into the playoffs they go to minnesota beat the vikings don't show up for philly but by then they'd already overachieved i think it comes down to Daniel Jones, who did so much last year, 15 touchdowns against five interceptions, career high in yards per attempt. Uh, he just did everything so well, career high in QBR, passer rating. He was better than he'd ever been, but is that enough going forward? That's going to be the question for him. Yes, he was better, but better doesn't mean you're top 15 in this league. Better doesn't mean you're one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He's got to prove that this season. Also, can they protect him? 44 sacks last year. That's third in the NFL. They've got to find a way to keep him upright so he has opportunities to stay on the field, doesn't get hurt. And then Saquon has to continue to be who he is. And you know that offense can get rolling. But I think they gained a boost of confidence to go to Minnesota, beat them the way that they did, and then bring everybody back this year after they ended the Saquon drama. Some defensive concerns last year, 22nd in scoring defense, 24th in opponent yards per play. They didn't go out and spend a lot of money or do a whole lot on that side of the ball. I'm wondering if they'll regret that at some point. They were 25th in the NFL in turnovers forced last season. They only forced 19. You got to improve upon that. Conversely, they only committed 16 turnovers, which were second fewest in the NFL. On one hand, you applaud the fact that they were that careful with the football. On the other hand, you have to ask yourself, is it sustainable year after year to be able to be that good in limiting turnovers? 8-4-1 and one was their record in one-score games last year. That's a big red flag. One-score yeah. games over a large enough sample size should basically result in a 500 record. For every few games that you win with a game-winning field goal, an opponent beats you with a game-winning field goal. Sometimes you drive down the field for the game-winning touchdown, but you fail. Sometimes your opponent does that. Over a large enough sample, that should be a 500 record. So when you're on one end of the spectrum, maybe you're 3-7 and seven in one-score games, or you're like the Giants 8-4-1 and one in one-score games, that's a sign that regression could be on the horizon. So keep that in mind. That was something Minnesota did last season that a lot of people were pointing yep. to. I think they were like 11-0 and 0 or 13-0 and 0 in one-score games. 11-0 and 0 is what it was. Um, schedule. Let me take you through this. This is what could be the problem for the Giants this year. You're going to open hosting Dallas. Then you're at Arizona, at San Francisco, hosting Seattle, at Miami, at Buffalo. Four of the first six are on the road. You do not get a bye until week 13. If you don't navigate those first six 
with a modicum of success, you're going to set yourself up for a bad season the rest of the way out. And you could see a domino effect happening where if you come out of the gate one and five with your one win being over Arizona, people start to get down on themselves real quickly in that spot. They will, and, and that's what you have to avoid, but that's also why you pay Daniel Jones. At the end of the day, if you say, what are the Giants looking to? What is going to be the difference from last year to this year? They paid Daniel Jones to be a top 12, 13 quarterback in this league. He's got to prove that he is. That, to me, is going to be the difference. I agree. The one-score situation, I'm down on the Minnesota Vikings because I don't think that's sustainable. They're going to have to win a lot of those games where it felt like they got some lucky breaks, and obviously the Giants are in the same boat. But how you overcome those situations and scenarios if you have, is you have consistent play at the most important position on the field. So for me, Joe, is it can Daniel Jones go from being a guy who people said, wow, what an improvement. A guy who took some strides. A guy who proved that, you know what, maybe he's not a top-notch quarterback in this league, but he's worth paying and seeing what he's going to be for the couple of years ahead as a franchise quarterback. Now he's got to take that next step and win games consistently for the New York Giants. You're playing Dallas. If you can keep it close, can Daniel Jones make a play late? That first part of the schedule, can he come in there and stay to the ship? And if they have to be in a clutch situation, can he be the difference maker? That's why you pay Daniel Jones that's what he has to prove, and that's going to be the only way the Giants take a step forward from last year. What do you think of this Saquon Barkley situation? We just had Jordan Renan talking about it on the preview coming in. A lot of people are going to be focused on that and what's taking place in New York. I think that's much to do about nothing. I think he's going to show up. He's going to play. I know he agreed to the new terms and the new deal. There's some incentives in there, but what are your other options even if you hadn't signed that? If you don't play you don't get paid this isn't the nba you can't just sit out for some reason and then force a trade to one of the best teams in the business like if you're gonna sit out that's fine you're not gonna get paid i thought ultimately barkley was gonna show up and play and as long as he's healthy he's probably gonna play pretty well don't you think yeah i mean saquon picked a bad time to be a great running back right the market isn't in his favor and he had to kind of watch that play out uh he didn't win jonathan taylor is not gonna win josh jacobs didn't win all these great guys are incredible running backs They're not going to get paid. So I think Saquon understands that, listen, my best bet is probably getting a couple of franchise tags, making $20, $25 million over the next couple of years. But I do think he is essential to what the Giants are able to do. But what you're hoping for, I think, if you're Brian Dayball, is that it's reversed. It felt like Saquon was definitely their best player last year on offense and that they needed him. What you're hoping is that Daniel Jones becomes that catalyst, and now Saquon is a compliment to what he's able to do. That's how you create an elite tandem in the NFL. And if you're a Giants fan, you've got to be excited about the prospects of the NFC as a whole. Maybe not your division. Yeah. Philadelphia and Dallas obviously should both be formidable. But, man, in the NFC this year, it's, it's thin. I'm not going to call it weak because the teams at the top are good. But it is as thin as I can remember. And the NFC used to just be absolutely stacked. With Rodgers gone, the NFC North is Detroit's. And let's be honest, we're not just going to anoint, anoint Detroit right out of the gate. Like you got to go earn it. You did a nice job closing out last season, but now you got to go earn it. Philly and Dallas are going to be competitive. The Commanders probably won't be. The entire NFC South is up for grabs with teams that have a ton of question marks. Saints are the favorite. They should be able to take advantage with Derek Carr. But if you look at Derek Carr's track record when he's in a new offensive system for the first time, and this is like the fourth or fifth time in his career he's going to be in a new offensive system, he does not play well that first year. He does not. He's no. going to have plenty of weapons, and the opportunity in New Orleans to win the division is better than anywhere else. But I'm not necessarily writing them in. I think the Rams are down. The Cardinals are down. Seahawks and, and, and Niners are the cream of the crop with the Niners leading the way in the West. It's wide open. So with seven playoff spots, if you're a Giants fan, you got to be feeling good about challenging for one of those. Yeah. I think we should go ahead and call it weak. 
Yeah, the, the, the top tier is pretty good. The second tier is not good. The third tier is non-existent. So this is one of the weakest <laughs> NFCs we've seen, right? I mean, so I do think there's an opportunity where if you're a team like the Giants, maybe in a stronger year, it's like, well, you're going to have to do a lot to get in. Now, to your point, I mean, the NFC South is nothing. A lot of those other teams are going to be fighting to get in as well. And then you look at the AFC. It's like everybody in the North is a contender. Almost everybody in the yes. East. You can make some noise in the West. That's how it is. NFL season, speaking of which, one month away officially today. First game of the year, Chiefs hosting the Lions. Biggest storylines heading into week one. We've got that and your preview from week one with some nice little gambling options for you. He's Myron Metcalf. I'm Joe Fordenball. This is Joe and Amber on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. This has been the Joe and Amber podcast. You can listen to Joe and Amber live weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, or on your smart speaker. Joe and Amber, the podcast.